Hey traders, welcome to another Performante podcast. This is episode 11. In this podcast, uh, we're calling it The Money Mindset. We're going to be going over a few really good books and a, a few really good videos and movies that we recommend that could give you some motivation and give you some good mindset tips and just kind of put you in that uh, environment where you're focused, driven, and ready to go. So uh, I'll pass it over to Nathan and uh, we'll start the new episode. Hey everyone, hope you're excited for the 11th Performante podcast. Again, we're just kind of going to provide some media that we've been engaging with, try and provide that motivation, insight, and entertainment to keep ourselves busy. Because as you know, summer is ending, fall is rapidly coming upon us. And uh, for us that live in Vancouver, that means it's going to rain for the next six months. Yeah. So um, we're just going to be, you know, coming up with books, videos that would be really good to keep that motivation throughout fall in winter. Uh, and we do know as traders, usually winter is a little bit more volatile and summer is a little bit less. So hopefully these books and videos do give you that extra push to uh, keep on top of your trading and uh, going to have a really good winter uh, for all of us. So I'll let uh, this start off with some books and then we're going to go on to the videos and movies a little bit later on in the podcast. Yeah, so the first thing I wanted to discuss, uh, I've got like 10 minutes left in this book, but it's called Your Next Five Moves. This is definitely one of the more interesting ones that I've been reading recently. Uh, I got a long-term rental in the interior of BC, so I've just been kayaking out on the lake, getting 20 to 30 hours of eBooks a week, just trying to uh, master the mindset, expand my knowledge. And this one had a lot of interesting ideas that I wanted to share. So it's called Your Next Five Moves. And it basically talks about how you can advance your personal life, your career, your entrepreneurial ability from all perspectives, from the social perspective, from the business perspective. Like, what do you need to do to achieve what you want? And so I'm just going to go through, this might be a spoiler if you wanted to read it, but it's not that big of a spoiler, I guess. The, I'm just going to go over the five moves. The first is master knowing yourself. So the importance of this step is you have to recognize what you want from life. Because obviously everyone wants different things, right? The corporate guy in New York, he wants to become an executive. He doesn't want to be an owner. He wants to climb the corporate ladder. Um, a low-be lawyer at a local firm, he just wants to become a partner. Or maybe a mom and pop just want to own a corner store and find their own happiness, live below their means. And ultimately... Everyone wants something different, so you can't categorize your needs by someone else's success. Because at the end of the day, as soon as your income exceeds your expenses, you are free to do what you want. And if all you want to do is post up in a cabin and read ebooks all day, or if you want to put in 14-hour days every day, six days a week to get that executive position, that's totally fine, but you have to commit to your vision. You have to define your expectations, and you have to plan for them. And so that's kind of the first step. You have to master knowing yourself. The second is your ability to reason. You have to understand what leverage you have, what leverage they have, and you have to be able to align yourself with other people, what they need and what you can provide. And what I thought was really insightful about this was that um, it covered a lot of like the topics and ideologies that I learned from how to win friends and influence people, like a very persuasive... Uh, perspective on how to engage in social dialogue, which I thought was really interesting. You read that one, right, Keith? Yep, I have. Yeah, that was a, a pretty phenomenal book. So I haven't read the one that we're talking about right now, 
but it's definitely on the list for sure. Especially with like what you were talking about. I completely agree with everything they've been saying so far and it's only the the second move. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, so the, the third one is master building the right team. Um, this one is much more for the people who are trying to build those like international conglomerates that are trying to invade sectors that are trying to find unexplored markets, which might not necessarily be representative of the individual that's maybe just looking for this business perspective. But I thought that this was really useful because it kind of felt like a Grant Cardone book where he has these specific ideas and he just repeats it and repeats it and drills it into your head until by the end of this chapter, you walk away with a concrete expectation of the kind of skills, abilities that you need to be looking from people that you bring on your team. But far and above anything you look for in someone, it should be your ability to trust and work alongside them because that's at the core of any successful business relationship. The fourth one is the ability to scale. And the fifth one is power plays. These two had a lot of technical knowledge, so it's kind of hard for me to elaborate on like the key takeaways because they are more so based on scaling a business and uh, working along other side, uh, working alongside other businesses, taking them over or fighting for that market cap. Um, so it's kind of hard to share, but ultimately I really enjoyed your five next moves by Patrick Bet David. It was um, a very interesting read because it compares business to chess in that you always need to be thinking five to ten moves ahead because anything less and you might get caught with your pants down. Also, just a side note, uh, for anyone who is pretty active on YouTube, he's also the creator of Valuetainment uh, for those who may know his YouTube channel. Yeah, that was uh, one of the things that he talks about in the book is that the first year that he did YouTube, after 365 days, he had 60 subscribers. Wow, that's crazy. And now he has millions. And he's only been doing it, I think, for less than seven years. Wow. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's got probably the biggest names. Like, he's even got, like, Mark Cuban to interview and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the book... He talked about his interviews with Ray Dalio, Robert Green, Kevin Hart, Steve Wozniak, Robert Kiyosaki, Brian Tracy, like big name authors, finance, entrepreneurs. And it felt like the book was like a presentation of his summary, kind of of like the cliff notes of how these people came to be and the moves they needed to make to become the international legends that they are. Wow. Yeah, it definitely seems like a book that would be really beneficial for individuals that are really looking to have that kind of multinational or international huge corporation. Um, and it kind of surprised. I, I didn't think that he would be um, kind of at that forefront of like, you know, international trade and international business, but really interesting. Um, and uh, like, one other thing about it is that it, it was published August 18th, 2020. So it is less than a month old. And so it even talks about like the pandemic and kind of his perspective going forward and how it's changed the face of business. And which is definitely a nice change because a lot of the books that I've read in the past are maybe like a couple of years old and they don't necessarily have the most up-to-date information because in 2020, things change every week. And so it was kind of, it was nice to have that novel and new concept from uh, an up and coming author like Patrick Bet David. Definitely. Yeah. 
the environment is very different now. You can't be like reading about how firm your handshake needs to be because we're not hand yeah. handshaking or anything. So, yeah, yeah we're, we're doing elbow taps all 2020. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The foot taps and elbow taps. Yeah. And so that, I guess that brings us to our next book. Um, this is called Range by David Epstein. And no, this is not the Epstein uh, that likes children. Not related to him at all. That is Jeffrey Epstein, who unfortunately passed away in prison. But this is David Epstein, uh, the author of Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And uh, I thought this was very interesting because I really liked the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And this took a similar philosophical approach in that if you want to become the expert at something, that's totally fine. Just put in the work and you'll see the results. But do you really need to put in that much work to become the expert to something to experience success in it? Probably not, because we live in the world where generalized skills are favored. And the further you go into a topic or skill or niche, frankly, the more likely you are to be automated. And so looking forward beyond 2020, 2030, 2040, we're just going to see increased levels of automation. Automation and outsourcing are probably the two single greatest threats to people who fulfill a very small niche. Mm -hmm. Because either a robot can do it, or somebody on the other side of the world will do it for cheaper. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the duality here, is that if you have a generalized skill set and you're good at everything, then you're putting yourself in a situation with less risk to be automated or outsourced. It's, it's very different from what society kind of tells everyone in high school and, and universities. You got to be really good at one thing. Or at least that's what I've been kind of told for most of my life is um, pick something that you're really good at and learn everything you can about that one thing so you are an expert in that field, which I agree with. But this book is kind of kind of flipping that on its head and saying, okay, well, if you go that path and you know you are extremely good at this very specific niche thing, yeah, I completely agree. It's very easy to kind of autom automate that specific task or the skill set. But, you know, if you're good at seven things that all are going to be beneficial for a company, you're very hard to replace. So it's different to what many of the kind of more traditional teachers and even like parents would say, where go to school, get really good at one thing, and that's going to be your profession. So it's interesting to see the other side of the argument for sure from uh, Mr. Epstein here. Yeah, just uh, to elaborate on one of the ideas that I thought was really interesting is they talked about the sport of golf. And they talked about the two approaches that are kind of used. The first, for example, Tiger Woods took. He was swinging a golf club at the age of three years old. His dad pushed him to be golfing and putting every day to get those 10,000 hours in. And he really is a master of his craft. And... Um, but in the same note that golf has the latest average age of professional maturity of any sport. And so if Tiger Woods was golfing since the age of three, that probably means that there's people that didn't start golfing until there was 18 and they're still professionals. And so that means there must be something different about the sport to encourage this kind of learning and engagement. And what Epstein found is that there's two kinds of learning environments. There is kind and there is wicked. 
And golf is a kind learning environment because you get your feedback right away. You know when you fuck up and you know when you succeed. If you hit the ball and it lands on the green next to the hole, you did something right. If you smash the ball and it goes over the hole, into the sand, onto the highway next door, hit a car, whatever, <laughs> that, that's that's immediate negative outcome. And you know that, oh, maybe I need to keep my head down at the ball and focus. Maybe I need to follow through better. Maybe I should have used a different club. You get the feedback from your actions right away, and that's what creates a kind learning environment. And we can draw parallels of those kind learning environments to other activities. So one that I found was a direct parallel is trading. Totally. Yep. And trading is a kind learning environment because if you don't position, like for example, if you don't size your position properly and you go balls deep and you take a hefty loss, you're going to feel like trash. It sucks, but in hindsight, you're like, damn, I really should have maybe only allocated one and a half percent of my portfolio as a risk on that trade. Or maybe I should have waited for the retest confirmation before entering. There's so many different ways that you can reflect back on a single action and decide like, oh, I really should not have done that, which is directly comparable to golf. It's those kind learning environments where you can rapidly succeed at something because you get feedback right away. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. That's what I do really like about trading is, yes, you know, like let's say in a normal system, you could win 60 to 50% of the time. As long as you understand and accept that those are your odds due to your backtesting, it's just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. So having that ability to test a system and see what's wrong with it that you can change and, and trying to reduce as many variables as possible uh, is very, very powerful. And the only way to do that is by limiting variables and trying to create a dependable, repeatable system over and over and over again. So it is because like, same as a golf swing, right? You're not changing the speed at which you're swinging a club. You're changing the club itself. So if you want it to go further or higher or like something along the lines of that, I don't exactly golf, but from talking to my dad who does golf, uh, he kind of says the swing shouldn't change, but it should be the golf clubs that are going to be changing the trajectory of the ball in a sense. Um, maybe I kind of botched it. I don't know. I, I'm not a golfer. I like just don't really do it, but it's very similar to trading where your, your psychology shouldn't change, but like the setup and approach should kind of be different, but like your psychology and the way you go about methodically having a set of criteria should never change. So you're just, you're using the same rules and system and mindset just with a different setup every time. Exactly. No two things are going to be the same, but um, that kind of makes me want to actually golf a little bit more because I do think, especially the, psychology, the psychological aspect of trading and, and golf, because let's say, we talked to, we talked about this later, uh, Nathan and I, is let's say you go to a golf course and you spend $100 for a cart and like you rented clubs or whatever, and your first swing and, and, and you hit the ball and it just is like the worst, uh, the worst golf swing and hit of your life i'm like really shit at knowing golf terminology but um uh if that is the case you got to completely eliminate that emotion and, and what you're feeling and what you're thinking when you are going for that next swing very similar to trading let's say you start off a, a brand new month and you have an unfortunate loss you thought it was the perfect setup and it just didn't go your way you can't have that 
affect the next trade because you got to be thinking this is just another set of probabilities and you can't say, well, the previous one was bad, so I might not be in the best state. This might not be the, uh, this might not be the good swing next or it'll, it'll definitely psych you out if you let it. So you just got to have that ability to completely separate every single opportunity as its independent own entity without any sort of reflection on previous or future performance, which is hard to do. But I think if you're able to do that in one of the two activities, you'll be able to incorporate that in the other one. So if you're a really good golfer, you'll be able to have that psychology and mentality when you are going into trading and vice versa. So for any golfers out there that don't trade, uh, <laughs> you might be interested in that. Yeah, for real. There's definitely some cross applicability between that like mental fortitude where you just have to wipe the slate clean, take a deep breath and focus on the task in front of you, which I mean, I've been golfing recently, basically since COVID just been hitting like uh, two courses a month kind of deal. It's it's either really relaxing or you just have an absolutely terrible time. <laughs> there's no middle ground. Yeah, there's no middle ground. Um, and just to wrap up that point with this book, Range by David Epstein. So these were the kind learning environments and the wicked learning environment. Um, just trying to think of an example off the top of my head. Let's say you're a surgeon and your surgeon goes poorly or your surgery goes poorly and the patient dies. There's a million and one different reasons why that could have gone poorly. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe somebody else on the surgical team made a mistake. Maybe the patient was inoperable from the start and this was just like a YOLO shot. You're in these wicked learning environments. Your outcome is not truly determined by only your action. It is multifactorial and you are never able to pinpoint your outcome or result on like a single action or a single moment. It's cumulative and it requires other people. So for example, hockey. Hockey, the feedback you provide to yourself probably depends on the score of the game. And the score of the game depends on your teammates. And so these kind of multifactorial and integrative activities are wicked learning environments. And in these wicked learning environments, specialization is the key to success. You have to dedicate yourself because there's no other way to provide that level of expertise and knowledge. In kind learning environments, you can start late because every time you do the activity, you get feedback. But specialization is required for wicked learning environments because there's no other way to be a master of your craft. And that's basically what it comes down to is if you want to specialize, great, that's fine. But just recognize that there is an inherent risk at hand as automation and outsourcing develop. And realistically, generalization provides much more tangible benefits. Well said. I completely agree. Wow. And so those have been two books that I've really enjoyed recently. Just wanted to share them. Check them out if you think that you're interested. I don't know. I'm a big uh, Audible guy recently. Can't get enough of those e-books. Yeah, you're smashing them. That's awesome, though, because it's so useful just being able to like go for a drive or do something while you're able to actually input useful information in your in your brain so kind of two kill them killing two birds with one stone or even three if you're really multitasking yeah although sometimes when i'm like for example if i'm trying to cook and listen to an ebook or something like that not gonna lie sometimes i just gotta re rewind it five minutes i just zone out and stop paying attention i'm like <laughs> I, I we gotta send it back yeah are these onions caramelized yeah <laughs>
I was focusing too much on not chopping my finger off. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, that's a pretty important thing to know of. Yeah, need all my fingers. Yeah, um, And so that kind of segues us to our next next topics. We just wanted to talk about some finance movies, some of the old classics, let's call it. Um, I rewatched Margin Call last night with Kevin Spacey. And uh, it's on like the mortgage back security crisis of 2008. It's, it's pretty similar to The Big Short. I will admit that The Big Short is, in my opinion, a better film. But Margin Call is kind of more from like the trader and institution side of things. And I really like that perspective because it was kind of like they're just debating on when to pull the trigger on these trash-filled MBS. Do they want to ruin the relationships with other firms? Do they want to collapse the world economy? Because they had that upper leg and it was just kind of interesting to see that like corporate high pressure atmosphere that realistically was present during the 2008 housing crisis. I haven't seen that one, but it's definitely on my list. The other one that we're going to talk about is called Boiler Room. It's with uh, Vin Diesel, I believe. Um, and also, what's his name? Uh, trying to read it right here. Uh, ben Young is the guy who actually... Uh, Directed. I forget the guy, um, the really main character. But anyways, it's a person who is a college dropout. Uh, he gets into the brokerage industry, and then he sees success, and then that clouds his judgment. And then it's kind of similar to Wolf of Wall Street in that there's a young individual who works hard, is super driven, wants to see success. The idea of uh, wealth creation is is really driving him. He gets it and then it kind of clouds his judgment and he gets into the world of corruption and greed and stuff very similar to Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I just think Wolf of Wall Street's a little bit more entertaining uh, in that obviously if you've seen it you understand what I mean. There's a lot of laughs some really good scenes and a lot of quaaludes. <laughs> yeah, a lot of quaaludes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't watch it if you have kids but uh, really a, a pretty unbelievable and, and action-packed entertaining funny exciting movie um and if you're interested in finance and just kind of general um kind of that atmosphere of of, of investing and trading and finance it, it's obviously more of a brokerage movie but uh really good movie if you are interested in that and then nathan already talked about the big short probably one of my favorite movies actually like ever. yeah i can't even explain how many times i have watched that film and every time it's just better and better it's got it's got such a unique perspective on the housing crisis. I love how they cameo different celebrities to explain different convoluted financial terms. I don't know. Overall, just top three movie for me. No problem. No questions asked. Hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Like with uh, Margaret Robbie and was it Miley Hannah, Miley Cyrus who did it? I forget. There was another person in the casino. There's Margaret Robbie, uh, Selena Gomez. That's what it was, Selena Gomez, right? Anthony Bourdain made a, oh, an yeah. approval. May, may yeah. he rest in peace. Talking about the fish. What was yeah. interesting is seeing Steve Carell, because I watched The Office. Oh, yeah, I'm a younger. big Office guy. And seeing him in that corporate atmosphere. Yeah, it's like, why are you making any jokes, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It it's like odd. Shouldn't you be acting stupid as fuck? Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, he's just yelling at fucking, yelling about Bear Stearns. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty interesting. I actually really like that. Uh, another one, uh, quite long time ago, 1987. It's with Charlie Sheen, always a good movie, Wall Street. Uh, super classic, or super good classic. I definitely highly recommend it if you have not. Um, there's been a lot of, like, kind of Instagram videos or little films 
from this specific movie. So if you're interested in finance, brokerage, or like brokerages, I guess, in general, or just kind of general investing, definitely a good watch, kind of similar. A uh, person goes into the brokerage game, I guess you can see. Uh, yeah, and it investigates like Gordon Gecko a lot, which is one yeah. definitely one of the legends of the gang game. Gordon Gecko has his own character in the movie. Charlie Sheen's trying to get on board, earn his way into the firm. And this was before Charlie Sheen went off the rails and was doing Tiger's Blood or whatever the fuck was going on. <laughs> He's got Tiger's Blood, yeah. <laughs> yeah, before the crack cocaine, let's say it. Yeah, before he went haywall. Um, and the last one we're going to talk about is going to be somewhat related, but a little bit less, I would say, is The Pursuit of Happiness. So, yeah, he is going into a brokerage service, I believe, but the main focus of this film is an individual who's really down on his luck um kind of at the at the bottom of kind of his life really and he kind of finds himself there's really a lot of emotional kind of heartstring pulling type scenes and then he works his way up and you know works for free for brokerage and is able to finally get on with them and then succeeds through uh, becoming a broker but during that time there's a lot of hardship a lot of perseverance that's required and a lot of kind of finding out your why what you're here for like why you want to work and, and what your goal is to create a happy life happy life for yourself because at the end of the day that's kind of what we're all trying to do is just finding something that we have a passion for that we love to do that we can wake up every day and say um, I truly enjoy the life that I have is not everyone can say that. So uh, I think this book is or this movie is really good for kind of finding out your why and, and bringing to life. You know, do you really want to be doing this for the rest of your life? It's not directly related to it, but I do think that movie is really good for kind of giving some perspective as to how to live a, a happy life. <laughs> In short, it's not easy, but uh, I would say that that book or that movie really, really gives you perspective as to what truly matters in life. Because Yeah, I watched that last year and it really makes you like challenge yourself. At least personally, it made me question what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like if I didn't have to, if I just existed and I could do whatever I wanted, what would, like what makes your soul happy? Like, that's kind of the fundamental question that I walked away with is that you might do something for money or you might do something to be able to invest more, like money-orientated behavior. But what is your happiness-orientated behavior? Is it waking up in the morning at 5 in the morning going for a run and having the rest of your day set up? Like, it just kind of gives you the perspective that there's more to life than making money. And at the end of the day, your personal satisfaction and happiness is derived from what you do. So what do you want to do mm -hmm. versus what do you need to do? Mm -hmm. yeah, that's like that very different from the movies that we were talking about previously, because like margin call Wolf of wall street or just wall street, those are all geared towards individuals trying to go up the corporate ladder find success, find wealth. And that is definitely something that is of interest to us. Obviously, we have to trade and invest and make money and all that stuff. We, we absolutely love it. But then, you know, you do have to really understand why you're doing all that for because 
you could be a billionaire, but if you have no friends, no family, and no one to share it with, and everyone kind of hates you, you're going to have a really shitty life. So you got to be able to incorporate kindness, family, friends, being able to truly, if you had all the time in the world, what would you do? And um, I think that's a really good movie to end off this podcast because it gives some perspective and, and kind of sheds a little bit more light on stuff that we don't talk about as much as obviously traders and investors were pretty analytical. We like to create profits and, and, and really dissect the markets and that's very analytical, but this is more of a emotional, non-quantifiable type of discussion where like you can't say like, you know, you can't quantify happiness or like your why, but it's more of like a discussion and, and, and self searching or like soul searching in a sense. So it's like an internal monologue that you need to have with yourself. Yeah. Because, yeah, you want to hustle, you want to make money, you want to build a business, you want to invest, you want to trade, but what's the means to the end? Yeah. And I think if you nail that down and know exactly what your why is, it'll be easier to get the motivation to do the 5 a.m. mornings and, and the you know, 10, 12, 14 hour work days or whatever that may be. Because like uh, Simon Simonek, I read one of his books, uh, Your Why, or I think I, was, I watched the podcast, I don't know. But I, I was diving deep in some of the, the stuff that he was putting out. And uh, he's really, really in tune with understanding your why. And he has a whole system set up that you can learn about to get really deep in kind of who you are and what your why is. And that's kind of similar to what the movie kind of portrays and like what you want in life. So yeah, that's another recommendation. Simon Simon Simonek, I I believe his name is. And he talks a lot and reads or and writes a lot about knowing your why. So I think that's a good uh, kind of end uh, end goal for this podcast. And uh, we covered quite a bit. It's a little bit more of an entertaining, less analytical, less trading, and less market type podcast. But uh, it's good to switch it up again, switch it up a bit. And uh, we are human, and we do like entertainment and stuff as well. So uh, it's good to kind of share the other side of our life, not so analytical and market driven, but more what we like to do on our time off, whether it be listen to books, read books, or watch movies related to what we're passionate about. Yeah, just wanted to provide some uh, perspective and some of the media that we're absorbing. As summer ends and fall begins, everything begins to wind down. And uh, we're really looking forward to the couple months ahead of us. We've got a lot of big stuff planned, a lot of stuff that we're going to share with everyone. But that's it for this episode. We'll wrap it up of episode 11. Hope everyone has had a great weekend and is ready to get their bread for the week ahead. Peace out, everyone.